you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. How do you keep a business running for 50 years? How valuable is a good reputation? What is the value of premium products in today's market? Join us as we consider the value of quality on today's podcast. Doing things that make business sense rather than what you want to do. So I've learned a lot of lessons there, you know. <laughs> but the main thing is what I've tried to do is try to empathize, if you will, with the customer. He comes in and says, I need this, or I need to accomplish this. That's right. And a lot of the customers, I have to drag that out of them. What are you trying to accomplish with what you're proposing? And this has to do a lot with the custom stuff because we do as much custom as we do off-the-shelf stuff, basically. So, uh, and a lot of it stuff may be off-the-shelf, it's a little bit of modification. So I try to try to find out what they're trying to accomplish and then put myself into their shoes and say, well, you know, I think I would attack it. This is the podcast where we talk innovation. Today's guest innovates the old-fashioned way. And I think you're going to like Jim. I don't normally start my introduction right off this way, but after speaking with Jim, it seemed appropriate. Jim's dad started a small shop 70 years ago, and Jim and his brother Bob turned that small machine shop into a stable business over the last 50 years. They've weathered economic upturns, downturns, and major customer orders going south. Their company is built around good, old-fashioned, hard work, and high quality. Their products are well known to outlast the competition by a large margin. I got a funny feeling as I was interviewing Jim because his approach to quality and supplying a premium product felt very close to home. If I could build a business to last 50 years around high quality and no compromise, I would be very proud. As a founder of Tabletop Inventing, I found myself taking very careful notes. Small businesses like McWellco are getting more rare these days, but great wisdom is sometimes stored in these strange out-of-the-way places. Today, Jim McKinley tells us about how they survived 50 years and what he feels are the important values of a strong business and a successful life. So my guest today is Jim McKinley. Jim has a business uh, called McWelco between him and his brother. The business has been around for about 70 years. Their father started the business. And Jim has personally been working in this business for 50 years. And they make high-end truck accessories such as toolboxes and uh, truck racks. So, Jim, tell us a little more about the business and how you got started here. Well, when I was uh, in high school, I, you know, had plans to, uh, to go to college. And I did go to, to junior college for a couple of years. But uh, both my brother and I were not real successful in the academic world. So my father saw... So I was uh, kind of floundering there, and, and he was getting to the age where he thought he wanted to retire, which, which shortly after he did. But he said, uh, told my brother and I, if, uh, hey, if you want the business, come and get it. Otherwise, I'm going to sell it. And so 
And we, the old story goes that my brother and I looked at each other and I said, we're not doing very good where we are. We better grab it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we uh, picked up the business and actually took it from where my dad had brought it, which was really just a job shop, and then got products that we made and um, got a product line, even though we're not a mass you know, manufacturer, we're still very more of a custom manufacturer, and we do have our, our off-the-shelf uh, product line. And uh, it, it has been like any business. It's had its rough, rough times. I, I could go into detail and tell you about, uh, you know, several situations or negotiations there where, where, you know, people embezzled funds or went out of business owing us more money than uh, most business could stand. We lost a dealer that took us for about a quarter million dollars, which wow. the size of our business, the statistics here are that within five years, companies our size that lose that amount of money are out of business in five years. And we're still around. That's been more than 15 years ago. So, But uh, it just it's gotten to where we have a very faithful following in the product line. Probably a lot of it has difficulty is trying to introduce the product line to the younger set. Uh, but we do have multi-generations where the father was an old customer of ours and 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 has retired or passed on, and and the son's taken over the business and and still followed in his father's footsteps as far as you know using our products and uh, very successful. I mean, I could tell you a lot of stories. I tell you one uh, is uh, that I've heard multiple times is where it's a contracting some type of a business, uh, not necessarily building houses, but all type of contracting, and where uh, the individual workers have their own truck. And they go out and maybe the management says, well, go, just go buy a box that you like. Well, some will buy a WeatherGuard, some will buy a Delta, some will buy a Husky, you know, whatever they can get at Home Depot or, you know, supply. And then others have heard about McWelco and they're more expensive, but they figured, you know, I want to really keep my tools safe. And so they will they'll buy a McWelco. Well, the rule is in the company, you drive the truck back and forth during the week because maybe you're on the job and it's closer to drive home rather than take it back to the yard and so forth. And the weekend, so everybody puts their truck in the yard. Okay, that sets up the scene. Well, crooks, <laughs> anonymous, come in, and they break into every toolbox but a McWelco. That's what I've been told numerous times. And they just, they're not even a scratch on the box. So they just walk right past it because they know what it is. <laughs> and so uh, that that the word gets out about that, the reputation is out, and so I'm surprised that we haven't been copied in that part of it. Perhaps because it's so difficult on a um, production scale to duplicate it or to come up with that kind of thing. So that that gives us a little niche there that we uh, because we we make a little less money, but we uh, we have a lot more more uh, longevity or, or, or consistency in our sales. And there's a lot of other stories that uh, I could tell you. But... So how long does it take to get a reputation like that? Uh, let's see, we coined the word or, or registered the name McWelco in 1972. We incorporated in 70 and then McWelco was uh, in 1972. And it was fairly obscure, I would say, right up to 1990. And starting in the early to mid-90s, then it started getting known. And by the time we were into 2005, 2010, very well known. Today, I mean, you could go on a job site, and have you ever heard of a McWelco rack or toolbox? 
and about nine out of ten times, oh yeah, you know, I want one of those, but I can't afford it. You know, that's <laughs> the now we gotta tell you the classic story. And this was some time back. We opened a store in nineteen eighty two when we moved up here in eighty to this location. We opened a store in Anaheim about two miles from Disneyland. And uh, as an outlet, we needed to get back into where the building was and the contracts were in the Orange County area. So we were there for probably, oh, maybe three, three years, four years, something like that. And we needed to have a variety of boxes, a retail or, or, or outlet. And so we had our stuff, but we had other brands as, you know, people come in and kick the tires, so to speak. And, you know, you know, buying this price range for these features, or you want to go over here or there. And so it worked out very well. We had some, some boxes that, um, uh, there's a couple of brands there that were very inexpensive. They, uh, they were made in the United States. They were domestic made. They're not, they weren't over offshore like they are today, but uh, they were um, very lightweight and just, you know, they would keep your tools out of sight and maybe dry, but they weren't, you know, no security. Anyway, one day this young fella comes sashaying up to the counter and we nobody was in the store at that time. I think it was three of us there and we were just talking, take care of paperwork and stuff like that. And he uh, comes up to the counter and he turns around and points at our flagship box and says, I want one of those. And, oh, okay, friend, great. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take your truck around the back there and we'll uh, get the paperwork going and good. So uh, <laughs> about, you know, two, three minutes, five minutes later, we hear this boom, boom, boom. What in the world? So I go run out the back, see what all the noise was. And this kid had taken his cheap box that I think he had bought from us about a year before. And see what happens. At that time, construction was really picking up. And so these young fellows were, were uh, working for some, but they were breaking off and getting their, their sub-license and going into business for itself. So they had to have a place to put their tools or, or they could have had a contract with it. You know, there's a lot of different arrangements. Anyway, they needed a toolbox in, on their pickup truck. And so they buy the cheap one they could afford. Well, after a couple of years or a year or whatever, that box falls apart. Now, what it was, when they shoot boxes, threw it into the trash can, both of the lids disengaged. In other words, they were torn off. So <laughs> and he comes in, he wanted one of those other boxes. So he probably, I would say, you know, that it's been 20 years ago. He probably still has that box, probably still using it or sold it to somebody else that's still using it. So that that's kind of what kind of set the tone for our, our products. Well, it's interesting. I, we just listened to the train go by a minute ago and you guys are out in the South, uh, I guess the East side of town here in Hesperia. How South, guys, south side. South, okay, so southeast. How long have you guys been out here in Asperia? Is this where you guys started? No, no. We started, my, my dad started the business in uh, 1944 in Monterey Park, moved to El Monte in 49, and we moved up here in 1980. So we've been here 35 years. This is the longest period of time we've been in this one location. So was the outlet down in Orange County a satellite? That was a satellite, yes. That was just a sales sales and a warehouse uh, showroom type thing. How many of those have you guys done over the years? We had one in, uh, in Rancho Cucamonga from 1986 to 93. And the economy affected all of this stuff. We had closed the one in Ranch Cucamonga because we weren't on a main road like Ball Road down in Anaheim where we had a lot of exposure. We were more back back off, hidden, so to speak, from regular traffic. And our main business there, believe it or not, were municipalities and cities. 
that sort of thing. Mm. And when there, if you go back and check your records in 1990, cities from used to have started running into real financial problems. And so they quit buying as much stuff. And we didn't have the other traffic. Construction had not really picked up. It was a little quiet. It did start picking up about 95, 94, 95. But we had already closed that store in 93. And I've had dealers over the years, all over California, even in Arizona. But because of our product being a higher end, if we put that margin in there for the dealers to make the 30% or some even spec more than that, that makes our retail or list price or trade price, if you will, too high in comparison to the competition. So we have to keep it down. Well, that puts a smaller margin on it as far as you know, selling the thing through a dealer. So we still have those that still buy from us from time to time and um, this mostly, but we don't have anybody stocking our stuff. And we closed our store in, in Anaheim in uh, November 07, and that was directly had to do with the economy. The economy has not picked up anywhere close to what it was back then. We're, we're doing about one-third of what we used to do. So does your business strongly tied to the construction economy? Yes, very strongly, yeah. Over the years, have you taken to watching the trends in construction and, and following that or, or just waiting until the, the business picks up or slows down? I'm ashamed to say we're more of a reactionary in that field, but we will, as far as putting inventory in, I do watch that closely and I won't let us tie up a lot of money, a lot of, a lot of inventory in something that I know is not moving yet. We have multiple markets though. We know construction is our main market, mm -hmm. but we also have recreational. Our stuff is used for recreational. It's also used, sometimes you tie it together, but construction is actually different from service. And what carried us a lot in the slow times were people that built and services the cell towers, those companies. Okay, so that's a different market really than construction, even though a lot of times they'll bag them together. We also have uh, the trade show industry uh, uses a big roll-around bin that's kind of like a mini warehouse, so to speak. That's down, construction up, construction goes down, it goes up back and forth, you know. So there's about, we service about maybe four or five different markets, and that's what's helped us. It really diversifies us, but, and kind of spreads us thin, so to speak. But And so we don't make as much profit because we're a small company trying to cover all these fields as, say, a company that was concentrated on one thing, but our dips are not as heavy as as a company that was concentrated on. I mean, the horror stories is, is these companies that used to get a contract from Sears, a little place like ours, you know, they have half a dozen employees and, and Sears would tie them up for some contract and then say, oh, well, we don't need those for six months or something like that. And they, they just run these little guys out of business. And Home Depot's doing the same thing too now. So we, we try to stay away from those guys. <laughs> and we, we like to deal directly with the user. So you guys have taken the approach of diversifying so that you can have a more consistent income stream and mm -hmm. uh, survive yeah. for the long term. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so let me rewind quite a bit here. You, you mentioned in the beginning that you and your brother weren't the most academic. What was your experience coming through grade school, middle school, high school? Well, I kind of was thought I was going to pursue a, a, an engineering degree. My father wanted to be an electrical engineer, but situation in his family. His father died when he was 17 and so he had to go to work to help support the family because he was the oldest of siblings. 
and he and his mother did that. So I kind of thought that was what I wanted to do. My brother kind of the same thing, but we just weren't given that well to academics. Now I, I attended uh, Mount Sac College and I took, you know, I took the chemistry courses, the physics and the, you know, the math and the, the normal stuff for a couple of years there. But then when my dad said, come and get it, well, that kind of went out. Even though I tried to go to night school, it's, just, it's difficult to do that. So that's kind of where we are. So, Do you have a, any particular teachers that stand out in your mind to those experiences, high school, grade school, college? I can't think of anybody right now off the top of my head. It's been so many years. So is it fair to say then maybe that the larger part of your education has been the hard knocks from life. Right, right. You have gone through the school of hard knocks. You never, <laughs> and you never re, uh, graduate from that school. <laughs> that one's continuous. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned the hard way over the years? I suppose it would be not putting your, all your eggs in one basket. You know, being careful of what you speculate on doing things that make business sense rather than what you want to do. So I've learned a lot of lessons there, you know. <laughs> but the main thing is what I've tried to do is try to empathize, if you will, with the customer. He comes in and says, I need this, or I need to accomplish this. And that's right. And a lot of the customers, I have to drag that out of them. What are you trying to accomplish with what you're proposing? And this has to do a lot with the custom stuff. Because we do as much custom as we do off-the-shelf stuff, basically. So, uh, and a lot of the stuff may be off-the-shelf is a little bit of modification. So I try to try to find out what they're trying to accomplish, and then put myself into their shoes and say, well, you know, I think I would attack it. I would approach it from this angle. So, how soon did you start doing that? I think it was pretty much right off uh, the get-go. I think, yeah. Was that something you learned from your dad, or did you, where do you think you picked that up? I don't know. That's a good question. I have never questioned that. <laughs> never thought about that. It's just something I've developed over the years. Yeah, It's one of those skills you don't always see. Yeah. People are not always paying attention to what the customer is actually trying to do. I mean, I right because I'm guilty. I will show up at a business, you know, whether it be Home Depot or a, a, a machine shop, and I'll say, I need to do something like this. You know, I need it to be have a hole here and this other thing over here. And once in a great while, someone will will dig a little deeper and find out what it's about and then they'll offer a better solution than what I was proposing to begin with but almost never and I'm just I'm always curious like where do people get that that internal drive to to find out what their customer actually needs rather than just you know trying to push yeah. forward I suppose maybe that comes from my mother more than my father she always said uh, you know what's worth doing is worth doing right that was her famous saying and I guess I took that to heart because, you know, if you think about it, I mean, why spend the effort if it's not going to be successful? Or at least that you, you look forward and, and anticipate it to be successful anyway, whether it really turns out that way or not. But uh, I don't like people mad at me. Our percentage of disgruntled customers, as far as I've tried to keep my ear to the ground, so to speak, is probably much, much lower than other companies. Now, I could be wrong on that, but, uh, you know, I just don't. Now, with all the social media and stuff like that, it, you know, maybe a little different story. But I think that uh, we always try to work it out with the customer. We go the extra mile. We meet them more than halfway. Uh, a guy comes by with, back with a, a box that perhaps he's abused or something like that, or he's way over his warranty period or something like that. A lot of times we'll just take care of it and, you know, won't, won't charge him or 
you know, whatever, because you know, I figure that good relations will pay for themselves over the long run more than just trying to get that penny up front. I've been trying to follow the story along here and thinking in my own mind. Does the drive to have a business, is that, how far back does that go in your family? It starts with my father. Yeah, my grandfather, who I never knew because he passed away before my father was even married, but was never in business for himself, at least that, that's not what my father said. So, so it came, the entrepreneurism came from my dad. How early do you think you picked that up? Was that always there? Did it kind of happen when your dad said, come get it? It's hard to say. We maybe started when I was in junior high or something like this. Uh, we used to, dad bought up five acres there in Hacienda Heights and we had orange groves, orange and lemons. And we used to sell those down on the road. Instead of, you know, early on he had the pickers coming, you know, he would just uh, contract it out. But then later he left it as something that, you know, my brother and I could, could do and uh, make a little money on the side. So probably started with that, I would say. <laughs> now that you've had 50 plus years to reflect back across that, what is it about entrepreneurship for you that's so appealing or exciting or interesting? I'm a, definitely a type A personality. I like to do things not necessarily just my way because I always want to listen to the other person's side of things and, and see if it makes sense. And if it does, then of course I'll blend their ideas or take their ideas and you know blend them with mine and, and go forth. Otherwise, a lot of people do things for strange reasons, at least in my thinking. And, and I'm basically opposed to that. And I try to work around it as diplomatically as I can. I'm not sure I could say anything more about that in that end of it. <laughs> yeah. So w looking back, what was your favorite interaction with uh, with a customer or, or with starting a new product or a new line? Well, I'm kind of excited about starting new things, new ideas that really worked. I think our more recent would be uh, we do uh, transfer tanks, we call them fuel tanks or whatever. We don't, we don't hook a tank up to the vehicle. That comes under a whole different DOE, DOT regulations and stuff like this. What we're talking about is a, a tank that carries diesel fuel and you transfer it or fuel tractors and other equipment. And a lot of the guys, they're using their pickup for business and social. And also just even in the business, you know, they're making a business call. They don't want that thing to look like a work truck, but yet they have to have the facilities in there to to do that. They have to have a, the tank on there. They have to have a toolbox and stuff. And so we came up with a an idea to conceal the pump and all that stuff. And it's all flush with the top of the bed and it doesn't even look like it has it all hidden. So there's a real advantage cosmetic there's an advantage there the other advantage is for security i mean you know with a thievery you know it's out of sight out of mind and so they're they're not less likely to try to steal your fuel or break into your box or whatever it is because it's it's not really that well seen and so that's kind of a new product and it really hasn't caught on we're trying to market it's on our website uh, isaac put it on there but uh, it still needs a little bit of push we've I think we're been about a year since we did it. We just haven't got the program together, really. I'm uh, still working on that. Fact, just a pile of stuff here. But I think when it catches on and we can hone our skills as far as making it get the price down a little bit, that it'll probably probably take off and sell pretty well. How did that idea occur to begin with? It was actually a, a customer. That's a good question you bring up there, Steve. I would say that probably at least 50% of the designs of our products and the function of our products are customer requests or customer ideas. 
we don't always take the idea, you know, directly and put it into it, although there have been some some of that. In fact, if one of the, <laughs> the last ones, just a little side note, was the chrome handle we have on the uh, toolboxes now. There's one on display out there. And that was a customer came in and he saw we had these chrome handles uh, selling over the counter for uh, our tote boxes and stuff like that. And he wanted them put on there to keep things from hitting the finish on the box. They'd hit the handle first, you know, he had something in the bed and sliding. And he had to put, I think, three or four of them on the lid. And we saw that and it was a real advantage there a couple different ways. A lot of the people, it's kind of funny, don't like the cosmetic appeal of it, and so we offer the original too. But anyway, that would be one that uh, a customer, a direct customer idea. Other ones, ideas, uh, they come in and they'll, they'll want something. We'll see, okay, well, he's got a basically a good idea. And it's like the old think tank invention world. You know, they come up with an idea, but that's really not what's going to market. You have to refine it, change it, and do different things to it. But anyway, I think that the customer in our business probably gets, I would say, probably twice the input that he would on, say, some big box manufacturer. You know, there's a couple of them back east there that probably they just, it depends on the attitude of the, the owner. I've always taken the attitude that if you don't listen to your customers, your customers won't listen to you. <laughs> I, I've never heard it put quite that succinctly, but that's yeah. probably very right. true. They go listen to the, the chat of somebody else. And so, yeah, yeah, customer ideas are important. So the idea for that new product is something that came right out of a, a customer suggestion or request. Right. He didn't know how to do it, but he said, yeah, can we do this and do that? So we, we designed it and made it work. So. And, and we worked together. I work, my brother and I, we worked together on that stuff. So was he the first one to ask that, or had you had a couple of other requests similar to that over the no, years? No, I think that was the first one. He That was about a year ago. Have you had other people in the, in the interim? Yeah, oh yeah. We've sold a couple of them, and they're all excited about it. But uh, right now, it's it's kind of like the first transistor radio. Everybody was they're excited about that. And, but yet now today it's just what's a transistor radio anyway? I got my iPhone, you know. And you know these crazy things we carry on our hip. These iPhones they're going to be outdated pretty soon. You know, they, everything's changing. Interesting. Well, thank you, Jim, for taking some time to interview with our audience and giving us a peek behind the scenes of a, a small manufacturer. If anyone from our audience was uh, interested in uh, learning more about you, what would be the best way for them to do that? First, I would say go to the website and kind of look at that over and give them some ideas what the what you know raise questions. I think my advice for for young people that are wanting to uh, or thinking about setting up their own business or what what's it like to have their own business and be an entrepreneur. First of all, you have to have imagination. You have to want to develop something that's better than you can find out there, uh, no matter what the product or or the service is. Yeah, if you come in with the attitude that I just want to make a lot of money, uh, I, I don't think you're going to hit your mark. There won't be the satisfaction there. You know, that even though that's an important part, it, it, uh, the most I think the most important, important part is the satisfaction that you get in, in doing something that people like, that people appreciate. So that, that would be my main advice to, to youngsters is look at it that way. They can see... What tweaks you? I mean, you know, tweaks your interest there as far as, hey, I could do this better. I do that better, you know, and then then follow it out. And you know, you don't have to jump into business right away. I'd say that you know, you're coming out of high school, college, 
go get a job somewhere in a field that you studied uh, or especially in a field that where your interest is that's the important thing where your interest is and of course I, hopefully you you picked a major in, in college and spent all your money on something they were interested in and uh, so I think what you're doing Steve here is is that's really important toward that mark is to give these kids a overall look and say hey this is the world of business this is the world of making money or making a living main thrust is do something you enjoy that sounds like excellent advice so we can find you at mcwelco.com mm -hmm. if you wanted to email me it's just jim at mcwelco.com well thank you jim this is timeless wisdom that could certainly be applied by any of the the students or parents that are listening. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Have you been enjoying the Tabletop Inventing podcast? Have comments or questions you'd like us to address? Contact us and we'll think through the comments and answer your questions here in the podcast. And be sure to let us know if you'd like a shout out or to remain anonymous. You can share your comments and questions at www.ttinvent.com slash podcast or by emailing us at podcast at ttinvent.com. Let's discuss your thoughts and questions. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? And as educators, how do we awaken the inventor in each of our students? Mm -hmm.